Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be looking ahead to a massive round of games in the Six Nations and rounding up the latest in the Premiership in URC. Plus we'll be joined by England's form player Freddie Stewart ahead of Le Crunch. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. How are we, lads? Juggling. You've been a busy man, Jim. How are you? I'm worried about you. You're in the real world. Have you learned to turn on your laptop yet? No, I'm just doing it all on my phone. So I've got a work <laughs> phone. I just do everything through that for now. The laptop situation and the different systems are, there's no productivity. It's like taking me two hours to migrate through. So stick to what you know, be productive when you can. And that is through the phone. I've also realized anyone that knows me and the millions of listeners will feel like they know me, but my nearest and dearest, Andrew and Andy Rowe and producer Rob, I'm a voice noter because my excuse is my hands are too big. So when I text, I'm trying to say what, and then if anyone knows what comes up instead of what, it starts with an S, a H and ends in a G. So I can't text because my fingers are too big. So I voice note the whole time. Some might say that's productive. Some might just say it's lazy. But what I do know is you can't do that when you're working in a corporate business because everything's encrypted. It's got to go through the right chains of command. It needs to be logged. The I's crossed and the T's dotted. Bang. Good to go. So I'm voice noting. I'm migrating my way through the admin and I'm chasing my tail. Out of a tail. Long tail. But we're in the middle of it, aren't we? This is always a busy period, Andrew and Andrew, as we know, because we have live shows. We've got the fallow weeks. We've got the podcasts. There's a lot going on. I'm not moaning. I refuse to moan. What I do hate, I hate people saying, oh, I didn't get this done, I'm busy. We're all busy. It's good to be busy. That's a great thing. It's starting to sound like you're working in an office now. Mate, that's corporate Jim. Can you call me James now, please? <laughs> I'm changing it. That's corporate James. When he's talking about chains of command and you know all that stuff, I'm like, mate, welcome to the real world, Jim. It's a real job. You have to open a laptop. You have to engage with the systems on that laptop and you can't just go around voice noting but you had a busy week didn't you because yeah but hang on who, who said chain of command though i'm the chain of the command <laughs> or i'm the command <laughs> of the chain there is no chain of command you're running world rugby no i'm not running world rugby we've set up a i say we look i'm in on it we've set up a an events media entertainment arm to the company and i'm involved in that i don't want to sound like a knob and talk myself up that i'm top of the chain of command but I'm near the top table and look. Are they all asleep? No, they're not. I'm telling you now, they are not asleep. They are innovative, smart men and women who are passionate about changing the game. Like we are, Andrew. The amount of pushback we got at the beginning for doing what we've done and now we're seven years in and by goodness do we look 
Seven years older, that's all I know. <laughs> and in those seven years, we've made it to Leicester Square on the big billboards, lads. So uh, you're welcome. How's that come about? Andy Rose, surely if you knew that was happening, you would have put some better glad rags on, no? I would have had a haircut. I would have yeah put on some better clothes. But play the hand, hand you dealt with, don't you? <laughs> yeah, and it's a shit hand in that one because that picture's not great of all of us. Not just you, Andy Rowe. I'm not being harsh. Not just you. Goody, you probably weren't at your leanest. Me, my hair weren't the best. My hair was thinning at that point. At what point have we ended up on Leicester Square? I didn't even know that was happening. No, nor did I. But Spotify are pushing us, so we're grateful to them, aren't we? It is good. But Andrew, again, apologies. Juggling a few things, and we can go through what's been happening this week. You are at Hambo's dinner on Wednesday. I missed it. I don't want to talk about it because I'm filthy and I'm gutted by it. How was it? It was amazing, to be honest. Seeing a thousand, I think it was over a thousand people in the room at Battersea Evolution. And uh, it went wrong again, lads. I'm not going to lie. God. I said to the missus, I'd be home by, I had a car booked for 11. I'd be home by 12. He's rolled in at 3.30, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the fallow week. It's the fallow week. And my excuse was, my table was at the very front near the stage. And I was on a really good table, an insurance company that are you know, big sort of fans of Hambo and the foundation. And it took me about two hours to get from the table to the bar at the end of the night because I was just getting stopped and... People were like, where's Jim? I was like, he's in France. He's not called Jim anymore. He's now called James, World Rugby James, they're calling him. But yeah, ended up getting home about half three, so in the doghouse. But, you know, it is what it is. Like you said, Jim, it's a busy period. And I think my missus has just come to accept now that when I say 12, I mean three, four. It's just not happening, is it? Why even give a time? I do it every week. What are you doing until three? Nothing good happens after 12. We say this. We know this. When it goes past midnight, nothing good happens. So from 12, all good, all glory, rock and roll, loving life, dogs bollocks, 12.01, disaster strikes. And then you lose them three hours, you get to three, you get to four, you get to five, and the regret kicks in the next day. Well, what are you doing? What are you doing at, just at Hamburg's dinner from 12 till three? You ain't, Andrew, I'm not your missus. You ain't chatting for three hours. <laughs> you know how many, there's a thousand people in the room and there's a lot of people to talk to. It's good, good to see some old teammates and old faces and Castro was there and like loads of different boys. So you end up having the same conversation about a hundred times with a load of different people. And then, before you know it, it's half two and you think, shit, I better get that taxi that's been waiting outside since 11 o'clock. But the main thing on the dinner is Johnny Gould, the auctioneer, was unbelievable, raised a shitload of money for the foundation. There's some very, very kind people, Nigel Ray being one, Peter Harrison, who owns Furniture Village, being another, just unbelievable people that donate to this charity and the foundation year on year to, you know, make a big difference in a lot of people's lives. So it was a hugely moving evening. Great to see Hambo. It was class. And then Thursday I woke up. I woke up with a warm heart, but a lot of regret with what I did after 1201, James. But there we go. A warm heart, Andrew. That's heartburn. Like, that is <laughs> straight heartburn. <laughs> well, no, it was. I, I thought it was more to do with the amount of money that was raised for the Matt Hampson Foundation. But you're probably right. It's a combination of heartburn and that. So, yeah, that was my uh, Wednesday night. And then up to Leicester on Saturday after I've recovered for a bit. So um, a quiet weekend, actually. A little bit of work Saturday at Leicester and then Sunday, lovely day with the family. Whereas, Jim, I'm hearing about your weekend and it's very different to mine. Well, I thought I would utilise the time not being away and going down to Ed Slater's testimonial at Cheltenham on Saturday. So we just said, look, back kids, let's jump in the car. 
Everyone's happy. We love each other. On the Friday, travel down to the Midlands in Cov from Edinburgh, which is five hours. But when the kids need the toilet 50 times, it's about nine hours. <laughs> we roll into Beck's dad's house at midnight on Friday. And then I'm up Saturday to go over to Ed's thing. And we'll get on to that. And then Sunday coming back. Andrew, you know, I, I'm quite a mild mattered man, especially when it comes to the kids. <laughs> The F-bomb got thrown about <laughs> twice, I reckon, on the way home. I'm telling you now, being in a car with kids, not just kids, four kids, tell me something more stressful. There you go, you can't. The rain. In a Ford Galaxy that looks like a police car with a fucking roof box on top. So not only do you look like an absolute C-bomb. <laughs> got some family time with Beck, which was important. We spoke for about three minutes and we were both filthy for the rest of it. But it was an important cause because I got down to Cheltenham and the big fundraiser for Ed. And you mentioned Johnny Gould, an absolute phenomenon yet again. Yeah. We, I put me in that because me and Flats hosted, which again was like, how weird is that? Like I'm hosting with Flats on stage and he's the go at and I'm just there absolutely winging it, getting rinsed as well. I'm doing the Q&A and I'm getting rinsed. Like Ben Youngs is there, Tom Youngs. I'm thinking, right, I've got some stories on them. Ellis Genge, the baby rhino's up, up on stage. He looks like he wants to fill everyone in, including Phil Vickery, who was trying to fill everyone in at the dinner. Don't know why. And Billy Twelve Bags. So Billy Twelve Trees, straight in. Jim, you owe us 20 miles from Ed Slater's <laughs> ride that we did in the summer. Threw me. I was completely gone. I think about them 20 miles a lot because, as we know, I nearly came off my bike and died. All in aid of raising money for Ed and them 20 miles will be given back at some point but Jim you could have said well Goody did 20 miles out of nowhere so you know together as a team we achieved the goal I was thrown that much and I was meant to be running the show that much that my mind went completely blank I'm sweating I've almost fainted and everyone's laughing but it was fine because I told them I was vice captain of Scotland no one laughed so I kind of <laughs> brought it back like that awkward awkward self-deprecation talking to myself it didn't work but what did work was Johnny Gould and the auction so to this point today, we're recording on Monday after the Saturday event, £280,000. Unbelievable. Yeah, it looked a great night, mate, and hopefully more money will be raised and a lot of love was had in the room. It looked amazing. Have you guys got yourselves organised for Belfast this week? Live show. A few tickets left for that one still? Well, at the minute, I'm going next week because I've booked the wrong flight, as I've just shown you. Oh, no. So at the minute, I'm not going until I go back and try and book my flights. I'm all over the place at the minute. I'm juggling. I don't even know what I'm juggling, but I'm, like Richard Cockrell used to do, he used to do the juggling like he was juggling some others, but that is me at the minute. So once I've got my flights sorted, like, like I'll be there and Jimbo will be there or Big Jim will be there and I can't wait to see Stevie Ferris. A lot of messages going around that Cavey's not coming and that's a good thing. I think it's a bit harsh, but... I might be in agreement with him after his show last year. Maybe you could change your flights to Dublin because we are heading there next week on the 15th. And then we're finishing up in London on St. Patrick's Day on Friday the 17th at Vinegar Yard. You can check out Eventbrite or our website, rugbypod.com, for tickets for those ones. It's going to be a big finish to the season, lads. All I know is I booked a holiday for April to say sorry for everything that's going on. And before I go on holiday, Jim and I are going to Hong Kong as well. So, Oh, my God. Oh um, <laughs> it's going to be a messy few weeks, and I can't wait. It's been quite quiet without the Six Nations going on. There's been a bit of talk about the, the fellow weeks because of the – the format, because we have two rounds at the start, followed by a week off, then another round, then another week off, followed by two final rounds. Do you guys like the inclusion of the fellow weeks or does it sort of kill momentum a little bit? I don't like it. You don't, James? No, I don't. No, I think, again, because I'm 
quite negative at the minute because of the car journey in the white Ford Galaxy. It looked like a police car with a roof box on top. I think it does take a little bit of the momentum out. And also, I'll just to say it again, there's too many games. There's too many games for punters. To, I say that, that's me being harsh, but I actually went back and watched the Edinburgh-Leinster game. I saw the Bristol's-Northampton game and there was a huge appetite for it. There was loads of fans in the stadium. I know they weren't sellouts down at Ashton Gate, but that's just me. Look, I... I I'm not going to come across as negative. Some of the games have been brilliant, but I just feel like it does potentially take it away. But I mean, what are you meant to do? The, the big thing for me in the fallow weeks, and maybe this is my excuse as it's a big week for Scotland because we've got Ireland. Finn, I know he played on Sunday for Racing, but you know, with the travel and stuff like that, our best player he needs to be fresh. You want him to be fresh. Johnny Sexton, refreshed, well recovered, ready to go. Finn, Seven-day turnaround, but it's effectively a six-day turnaround. I'm not keen on the fallow weeks. Didn't like them as a player, don't like them now. Yeah, it's difficult, isn't it? Because you can't play five games on the spin of international rugby for a tournament, can you? This has always been the setup since Italy had come into the Six Nations many, many years ago. I think the only way you can really change it is going to a three-game and then a fallow week and then two games because certain countries won't be able to cope. You look at the Autumn Internationals, ordinarily it was three games historically and then they've added a fourth in a lot of countries have and by the end of that squads are absolutely blitzed aren't they so this is where corporate james has got to come in and sort out world rugby and get the global season is bill still asleep or is he awake to fix that oh no no we're mates now he's wide awake no he's <laughs> wide awake right now nah. yeah brilliant doing his job and the game is moving forward at the fucking rate of knots he's wide awake bill sweeney on the other hand he's asleep the global calendar is the big issue with it, isn't it? They have the Six Nations weekend set in stone. Obviously, next year's fixtures are already out for the Six Nations with the fallow weeks. And it's a fine balance between pushing the players too hard in terms of how many internationals you can back up and getting the best product out in the field. Scotland have got a small player pool, haven't they? Italy have got a small player pool. Wales have got a small player pool now I haven't got well. one. Well, oh, there, sorry, there you go. Still got one. <laughs> Why are you being horrible, Jim? No, it's shocking. Shocking when you think about what's happening with Wales, the fact that they're going to have to cut their squads. And how do they play in the fallow weeks when their players are going to be centrally contracted? There's talk of some of the squads going down to 30. You factor in injuries. I, I just don't know how it's going to work. So I find it quite interesting that the Six Nations fixtures have been released already. And the balance, obviously, for all the clubs as well is, how do you say to clubs, by the way, you're not going to have any games from the end of Jan through to the end of March? at home you know I was at Leicester on Saturday 22,000 in the stadium you know the corporate hospitality and I say it as a joke but it was absolutely rammed at the weekend I know it's against Bath an old historical rival even though there's no rivalry anymore because Bath is shite looking at it the clubs need revenue in the weeks as well don't they so it's a bit of a balance but until we get a global season where everything is geared towards having the best players available as much as possible and there's a reduction in games we just have to keep sort of fathoming our way through it week on week, month on month, year on year, season on season, get better. Do you think England would have got better over the fellow week ahead of the game against France at Twickenham? They should be, France should be favourites, but they haven't won at Twickenham for a while, have they? 2005 was the last time that France won in the Six Nations at Twickenham. So it's been a long time. Jim, 2005, how many years ago is that? Andrew, I don't even know what day of the week it is at the minute. <laughs> I just know that 2005 was a long time ago. I was in New Zealand, actually. Yeah, 18 years. It's quite lucky I made my debut the next week. I wasn't involved in the France game, but Ollie Barkley and Charlie Hodgson missed about seven kicks at goal, and we lost by 
two points. So blame them. France favourites? I don't see it. I think England are favourites. That's what Sam Warburton said. And when I read that piece, skimmed through it, there's a part of me that can see that, Andrew, which is weird, isn't it? When you think of the tournament, I would say that England, not just because Sam Warburton's convinced me, but I don't know. I've just got a sneaky feeling. Yeah, France aren't in their best moment, are they? So who's playing tight for them? Obviously, they've got Winnie Antonio and Mohamed Awas. How's that? They're both banned. How's that? So Falatea, who came off the bench, who's an absolute monster as well, will probably start at tight head. Jonathan Dante's back in the mix for them. Does Jally Bear start? I don't think he does. I don't think he does. I mean, maybe. And maybe the French are going to look at this as an opportunity to play other players because of the World Cup and... You know, but they're still in the fight for the Six Nations title, as are England, as are Scotland, as are Ireland. And I don't know, I think England are favourites. They'll have got better this week, trained really hard under Steve. All of the England coaches were at Hambo's dinner and did a Q&A. And when you hear them, you just think, actually, we're going to win. We're going to beat France, then we're going to beat Ireland, and then we're probably going to win the Six Nations. But then again, I am deluded, and I've had about four bottles of wine, so... I might have convinced myself that we're going to beat France. I can't see us beating Ireland. So I think England are favourites, but France are a class team, aren't they? It's the fact that they haven't won at Twickenham in the Six Nations since 2005, which Sean Edwards actually pinpointed post-match in his interview after the Scotland game. That will focus the mind, and I don't know, it's a real tough one to call, isn't it? Do you think France actually care that much, considering the magnitude of the World Cup at home later on in the season? Yeah, I think so. I think, like Goody said, I think they are not firing on all cylinders for whatever reason. It's a long season in France, isn't it? The top 14, a lot of pressure this year, a lot of hysteria in the build-up. I don't know what commercial things the top players are having to do in the lead-up. I imagine there's a few things. I mean, Dupont's still, I'd say, the best player in the world at the minute, by the way that he's playing. Played every minute as well. Listen, we've perhaps been a bit harsh to France because... They were average against Italy, right? First game, Italy away, bit of a banana skin. Italy are much improved. They got the win. They go to Ireland in a hell of a test match and lose against what are the best team in the world in their own backyard. In a, It was an unbelievable test match, wasn't it? And then they beat Scotland in a classic game as well where both teams had a player sent off. They're a damn good... So I've just convinced myself that France might beat England now. <laughs> <laughs> I might just add a few other things into that. You mentioned Dante, Cameron Wookie's injured, their bat row, Jalon is now out, which is a, what a shame that is. He was unbelievable. I think he's brilliant. Yeah. Because we always talk about Charles Olivon and Gregory Aldrete, who's actually just a bit Aldrete at the minute. He's not Aldrete, he's Aldrete. But the backbone of the team, like we're not talking about, are we? Like Marchand, for example, wicked. Like brilliant physical, in and out of games. Paul Willemser, who we've had on the podcast, has been quieter than normal. I'd say that Flamont has, has he outplayed him? In the headline stuff he has... Yeah, Fiku. I mean, there's no doubt about it. They've got world-class players. They just haven't clicked, have they? So I I don't know. I think that this is the one for them because England, not as good as they have been and everything around the history of not winning there since 2005. So good weekend, the Ruggers. Mm. This is what it's all about, isn't it? It is. Do you think England will mix up the way that they play against France considering the style kind of suits the way the French play? Have you ever seen a Steve Borthwick team play any differently to just kick it, chase it, play really hard, be physical, confrontational? No, I can't say it. And we've seen that over the first three rounds of the Six Nations. We've seen what he's done to Marcus Smith. Anyone that watched the Harlequins extra game at the weekend, that's the polar opposite of how a Steve Borthwick team coaches and sets a team up. So I think we're going to see more of the same. And then it's 
what you want to see from England is how they played against Wales in that first half with speed of ball, accuracy, getting to the width, finding the space and not being sort of turgid because it will suit France down to the ground if we kick loosely, which we have done in games. You know, we need to expand our game a bit, but Steve Borthwick's game plan doesn't marry up to what England fans necessarily want to see. And if anyone watched the game at Twickenham or watched it on BT Sport on Saturday, you're leaving that game just begging for Marcus Smith to be given the keys to play as fly half for England, as Finn Russell does for Scotland. But under a Steve Borthwick-led team where it's you know risk-adverse and let's play territory and kick it and get better with our kick chase, then I think we're going to see more of just the same of Owen Farrell at 10 and, and Marcus Smith will have to bide his time. Because you've got Ford in the squad as well. How are they managing those three players? I think it's ridiculous, and I'll say it on it, ridiculous that George Ford stayed with the England squad last week. I'd have sent both of them back to their yeah, clubs. Yeah, Smith needed game time, Goody, though. Yeah, no, I get that. And and, and do you know what? Obviously, but with, Ford hasn't played in a year. Yeah, I know. I think Ford has played like a game and a half or something. And listen, George Ford is a favourite of Steve Borthwick's in terms of how he plays, what he did at Leicester, how he runs a game and understands what Borthwick's wants from his team. We saw that relationship at Leicester. It worked exceptionally well. The fact that you know he sent Marcus Smith back, was it because it was a bit of the big game, a bit of the Harlequins leaning on him and saying, look, you've taken our coach, Nick Evans. You know, we've obviously had to rearrange this game from Christmas because of the train strikes. It'd be great to get our pin-up boy back. He does need game time. There might have been a conversation there. And Marcus Smith went back and answered every question that could have been asked of him, played a ridiculously good game. And George Ford was left training to get better week on week at uh, England, where he should have been playing against Saracens on Sunday. Maybe it was because it was a six-day turnaround that they wanted to keep George back and not put pressure on him, but he needs to play games. You know, He's been out with a, an Achilles injury for seven, eight, nine months, whatever it was. He needs to play games, and I hope to God you're not picking George Ford on the bench or George Ford to start the game. Nothing against George Ford at all. I think he's a wonderful player, but he's had a game and a half of rugby. Marcus Smith is in the form he's in, I understand if you want to start Owen Farrell at 10 and play a particular way, but when you've got the quality and the talent of Marcus Smith, you want someone to come on to be able to change a game. He's your guy, and that might need to be the case. We might need to completely change how we play against France at the weekend if they are monstering us. And that's why Marcus Smith has to be on the bench and not George Ford. It'd be really interesting because it'd be in the fourth game, middle of the Six Nations, the bit of hysteria around Marcus Smith going back to Quinn's carving up, Ford coming back in. Farrell not playing that well off the boot, the criticism around England. If Borthwick was going to change anything, surely now's the time. Before the World Cup, that is. Surely now's the time. You're not going to do it in Ireland on Paddy's weekend, are you? So if not now, then when? So if you flip it on its head and you're Borthwick and you're thinking, right, if I love George Ford as much as we think he might, if he doesn't put him in now, then when does he put him in? But what my thought on it, you're talking about George Ford... To really mix it up, you drop Owen Farrell and you start Marcus Smith and give him the keys and say, hey, you go and play in a way that... Let's have a look at you. Yeah, mm. brings the best out of you. But I, Borters won't do that. I'd be amazed if he did. He's not going to deviate from how he's always set his teams up. And that is a kind of risk-adverse, strong kicking game, strong set piece, physicality and defence without necessarily having the stardust that a Quinn's team showed at the weekend or... You watch Bristol on Friday night. There is that DNA and that ability in within English rugby to play that way, just not when you get to international level because most of the time the coaches don't allow it. We're convincing ourselves that something could be happening here. Who you drop him? I'd keep Faz at 10. 
but I can potentially see if Nick Evans is negative. Uh, <laughs> physical. Northern backbone. Yeah. Well, let's have a chat now with a man who's nailed on to start for England this weekend. Fullback Freddie Stewart joins us. How are you, mate? I'm very well, thanks. How are you, boys? We're all good. Good to see you. Good to see you too. It's class. Great to see you, Gordon. Nailed on to start. Are you that confident to say that or not? Like, are you <laughs> no, at that point? Absolutely not. You can absolutely be. Absolutely not. No. You could be. You could be like Dan Carter. You could be like, I'm in. That's it. I'm running the show. Never take it for granted, mate. Never take it for granted. That a boy. Yeah, well, we can say it. Maybe you can't. But first thing, I don't want to ask you about yourself to start off with because we're going to ask you about your boy, JVP, Jack Van Portfleet. We had him on the show a few months ago, as you know, and he claimed that his nickname was Judas because he cheated in a fitness test, which, you know, I'm the master of cheating in fitness tests over my career. So you don't get a nickname Judas for doing that, but there's a bit of uproar from all the boys at Leicester. You just might as well fill us in on the real reason he's called Judas, can you? <sighs> Oh, I'm in trouble. That's it. The pause. The pause says it all. Yeah. I can't do it. Well, there's that. that is de- the reason he said is definitely not the reason he's called Judas. We'll just call him a home wrecker and we'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I could say. That's all wow. I could say. Oh, class. Oh, it's like the Youngs brothers trash a few homes, a few buses on their way to the very top. So it's like the 2023 version of that. But it's class to have you, Freddie, especially on a week of such a big game. It's obviously been a fallow week. What do you get up to? Are you one of them that goes back to Leicester and watches the boys or do you, do you get a bit of time off? Went back to Norfolk the first fallow week. So this time we were in Brighton. So that was a long old journey back home. So instead just went back to Leicester. Boys played Bath. So it was nice just to have a bit of time off and, and go and watch them. And just on that, actually, while you're there, obviously Brownie's come into the club a little bit while you were there, but then obviously you've been away a long time. You know, one of the oldest England fullbacks ever against one of the youngest when you get back. Can you wait to challenge him at training and get stuck into the old boy or what? Because he's gone pretty well, hasn't he? He's been phenomenal. Arguably our best player in the last couple of games. He's absolutely smashed it, which is brilliant. And I'm actually looking forward to... I didn't get too much time with him while it, when, he, when he first came in, so I'm actually really excited to, to get back there and, and pick his brains. Just give him a Zimmer frame on day one. <laughs> and how's Andre Pollard settled in because I don't know if you heard my comments that I thought he was about 38 but turns out he's not even in his prime yet I don't know if that did the rounds in the club or not but I eat my words after the weekend's performance by himself yeah he was he was phenomenal wasn't he I think last couple of games he's, he's strung together some momentum and he, he's playing his best rugby again which is great to see but when you've got a guy like that at fly off playing rugby like that you know it makes everyone lives everyone else's lives a lot easier and he, he's smashing it at the minute is he a good lad? Not that you're going to say that he's not, but the South Africans is a bit of a South African influence, isn't there, with obviously Jasper at eight, uh, Liebenberg as well. What's he like as a boat? Is he quite quiet? But I've heard he's brilliant around the environment. Oh, he's Polly is a legend. Yeah, he's he settled in really well. He was rehabbing when he first came in, so it was a bit difficult for him to sort of, you know, integrate with with the lads while we were all training. But he's like duck to water. He's, he loves it. He's good around the training. Like He rips into the lads, which is nice to see. And he's good on the piss. That a boy. That's important. He's gone up in my estimation. Well, let's let's part less than let's talk all things England because obviously you're in camp. There's a massive game coming up against France on Saturday. Let's go back to Wales. MOM, player of the match, man of the match, an outstanding performance. You just soak up those high balls. How good was that to win down there for you, a young kid, but now with a decent amount of England experience? A hell of a performance. Yeah, the boys boys said in the week that it's one of the best places to play rugby. On that bus journey through Cardiff on the way in, it was like, this is this is class. Like, it doesn't get much better than this. We had a choir singing when we walked through the changing rooms and the Welsh anthem was just mental, absolutely mental. So 
it was an incredible experience. And um, like when you win there as well, to, to have that sort of cherry on top, it, it was always nice, yeah. Absolutely. And what about the changes, Freddie? As a young lad, you've come in, you've burst onto the scene, like talking about a duck to water, that's yourself in the England 15 jersey. I know you want to be humble and play it down, but there has been a bit of drama. There's been a few changes along the way. You've worked with Borthwick. Eddie brought you in, obviously. How's that been as a young lad? Do you just get on with it or do you have an opinion on how kind of things are done and if one environment's better than the other or just different? I think Steve, Steve is a coach who always wants player feedback and he, he loves when players challenge, you know, his ideas and, and give him feedback as well. So I think everyone's just taking it in their stride. Obviously, I've worked with Steve previously at Leicester, so it's a smoother transition, I suppose, than some of the other lads that have come in and haven't experienced him before. But it's been brilliant. Like the lads have just grasped it with two hands. You know, we've got a great environment at the minute. The boys are really energised and, and we're playing some good rugby. So it's uh, it's going really well. Yeah, I listened to Ollie Lawrence. He was talking about, he was on, on edge a little bit under Eddie Jones and now under Borthers, he's sort of found his feet and he's relaxed, he's being himself. That's obviously key and massively important to a squad to be able to be yourself and, and relax and enjoy the environment as much as the pressure is going to come on. What sort of different things are there that, that are going on? I know training's a bit shorter, isn't it? And there's different ideas, but is it very similar to what Borthers was doing at Leicester that got you the success of winning the title last year? Pretty similar in terms of schedule. I think we, we just blast through the day now. So we have all of our stuff just straight through. And then once training's done, it's that's that's you done for the afternoon. So it's it's nice for the boys to have that that downtime. And I suppose we've had a bit more opportunity to just just do our own thing and enjoy each other's company, which has been brilliant. And lads are just like Ollie, like Ollie said, just being ourselves. I think Steve really, really embraces that that idea that he just wants boys to be themselves and, and work hard. So it's it's been really good. And on that as well, then, being yourselves, the kicking aspect is a huge part of your game. One of the criticisms or a few of the criticisms has been there's been too much kicking. And we know how important the kicking game is. So, like, being yourselves, are they trying to build out this framework of attack? How's that going in training without giving too much away? Yeah, it's it's coming on nicely. Like it's the, We've only been in, how many weeks have we been in now? Five weeks. So, we've... You know, something like your attack, it's it's, it's never going to click instantly. You know, there's there's been a few changes, so there's a lot of guys coming in and different combinations. So it always makes it slightly more difficult for things to, to work seamlessly. But Snap's been brilliant. Nick Evans, he's been fantastic. He's got some brilliant ideas and and the boys have loved working with him too. So, you know, hopefully as, as we spend more time together, you know, we start to see, see a bit more. And on Snapper, obviously last game of the season is Harlequins at home for Leicester. He'll be back coaching Quinns, and that could be a pivotal game and get into the top four. What you're picking up some secrets that you can bin off Harlequins and Leicester will win it, and they won't make. He the top might four. be doing the same with me. He <laughs> might be doing the same with me, but um, that's a mouthwatering, isn't it? We got Quinns at home last game of season. The way the league is at the minute, it's anyone's from about ninth to to third to get that into that playoff spot. So it's it's great to see. Really, it's good. Like I think the boys are loving it. The competitiveness. All the games matter. It's, it's really good. He's a brilliant bloke, isn't he? You're obviously soaking stuff up with him. His energy is, you know, in any environment that I've seen him in, is fantastic. Are you loving working underneath him? Yeah, he's always like, there's different coaches have different different styles and he's so energised. He always brings the energy, you know, he's he's always around the place and he's he's getting involved with all the boys and stuff. So he's, I've loved working with him. I think it's been brilliant. He's got some really good ideas as well. I think the boys have... I've loved that side of it too. Yeah, he's been class. We know how influential he's been at Quinn's, working with Marcus, just to name one, but he's obviously been there for years and, and played at the club. Just for the listeners, uh, how much is going into the attack side without kind of sounding like a broken record? But I know what it's like in international camp. You have a focus, right? So if you're up against France back in the day, it was a big mall, big physical scrum performance, and that's what you'd be training for all week. How much is going into attack or is it just a case of finding a way to win that game? 
lots of lots of it we've got a lot of meetings a lot of attack meetings we usually do like a, a day more focused around attack and then one more focused around defense to try and keep working on both those sides of the ball so there's a massive focus on it it's something we're working really hard on and and hopefully in these last two weeks we start seeing some fruition does Marcus have a say in them? And Marcus being like obviously amazing in attack with ball in hand. Similar to Finn Russell with Scotland, he has a huge say in the Scotland attack. Does someone like Marcus, is he able to voice his opinion in them? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. There's loads of player input. The meetings are brilliant because boys are just throwing ideas in, challenging each other, which is always good. I, I don't think it ever works when a coach says something and everyone just you know nods their head. It brings the best out of everyone. Everyone's throwing ideas in the hat and then we all sort of can agree on stuff and, and challenge each other. The high balls are going to come raining down, I've got no doubt, this weekend. DuPont. I hope so. With box kicking to the cow sheds and back and all that stuff. Ramos at the back as well and on to Mac at 10. Question, when was the last time you dropped a high ball? I've never seen it in my life. I dropped one at the week. I dropped one against Wales, Goody. Oh, you did actually, I did yeah. drop one. Freddie, he's an English fan. He didn't see that. He <laughs> don't see stuff like that. He never sees it. He's, bl- yeah, he's, bl- he's blind. I missed that one. How much work goes into it, Freddie? It's your super skill, right? And there's one of these things that like, you should work on things that you're not good at. But then the other side of it is, it's like, well, you hone in on the thing that you are amazing at as your super skill. Like, Do you do an incredible amount of work with that? Or is it just a natural talent you've got? No, loads, loads of hard work. I guess that it's like not being not being satisfied with with where it is at the minute. Like I've got to keep pushing, keep working hard on it. I don't want to sort of slack off on it, and then all of a sudden it's it's not working on a game day. So after training, we always get the big bag out. We get Nate, one of the S and C guys, under it, which is quite fun because we give him a payback, mate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, knee in the back. <laughs> <laughs> but it's brilliant yeah it's good it's, it's good fun I enjoy it I mean it helps that you're six foot five to be fair but uh, it does yeah it does. <laughs> it's a hell of a skill what are you expecting from France this weekend then because they've been quite hard to understand how they're playing and stuff over the, the first three games they've obviously beaten Scotland beaten Italy just and had that amazing game against Ireland but it's really hard to decipher with a few injuries and a few different players coming in what are you expecting from those boys yeah, it's tough. They've they've sort of played in, in different ways in their first couple of games. So um, the challenge for us is is to try and sort of, you know, see what's coming. You know, they're number two team in the world. We know they are going to be be unbelievable at the weekend. They're a, a very strong outfit. They've got, you know, DuPont, Untermax and fantastic players. So it's going to be a challenge for us. But the boys are really excited. We're just keen to get stuck into it. For you as a young lad bursting onto the scene, what's been your toughest challenge working in that kind of chess, the game of chess where you're like, holy smokes, this is something like I've never faced before? Uh, the one that springs to mind was Finn Russell last year when we played Scotland away. It was my first ever game in the Six Nations. I never played Finn before. And I suppose when you're 15 and you're coming up against a team, the 10's always the man, you know, you try and study, you try and figure out his triggers, where he's going to kick, what he does before he kicks. And Finn is one of those guys that you just you, you just don't know. Like you never know what he's, he's got a box of tricks. And he's got the ability to, if you're out of position, to expose you in in seconds. So he was, uh, yeah, didn't enjoy coming up against him. Finally, I just want to chat to you about, obviously, the England setup, heavily Leicester influence. I'll go back to my day when we played for England. There was seven or eight of us Leicester lads in the England squad. The other six or seven didn't mingle with anyone else, really. They just stayed sort of tight as this clique. And I was trying to hang out with whoever else I could, apart from Leicester players. But is that similar now? Are you trying to get rid of Jack Van Portfleet and tell him to go away and play with someone else because he's a, a Judas? Or it, what's the mix like of everyone? Because there's a big balance there, isn't there? Yeah, it's, it's massively important as well. You know, for your team to go well at the weekend, you have to make sure that everyone's, you know, socialising with each other and building relationships with each other. But it's been class. Like, the lads have just 
throwing themselves in at the deep end. I've actually been closest with the Saints lads, probably, which... No, come on. Oh. Come on, mate. Oh. I get told off for. <laughs> You've got to put your club ties apart when you when you come here. I've really enjoyed spending time with those guys. Nick Ezekwe, he's a good character. I like spending time with him. But the boys have been brilliant. Everyone's just been throwing themselves in, getting to know everyone. And what about switching off? What do the boys do if the game's moved on significantly from when me and Goody played, where you could go out a bit of midweek and you can go out on the smash at the weekend? As a young lad who's in the dream position now, what is it, a bit of gaming? Are you allowed to go out? Like, do you go out on the farms in Norfolk? Just give us a bit of how Freddie Stewart switches off. The biggest thing is coffee. The lads love coffee. There's a big coffee culture, so any time off is usually we'll try and find a... I like that sounds really boring, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> Honest, though. It's life, mate. Honest. It's life. <laughs> That's life. Um, no, we enjoy coffee together. Spend a lot of time in the spa at Penny Hill. It's unbelievable here. So smashing that. And then it depends, really. A lot of the lads enjoy their gaming. We play a lot of cards, a lot of gin rummy, which causes a bit of drama. That's always a go-to. But it's been good. And what are you, mate? Are you a gamer? Are you a card player? Are you a... I do enjoy my cards, although they've started putting a bit of money on the line now. Anthony Watson, he always has to get money involved. He's been, oh, let's play for 20 quid. So it's getting a bit more serious. There's more on the line now. I'm sure you can afford to lose 20 quid to Anthony Watson. <laughs> <laughs> or just take it off the old fella. You'll be calling them all dad when you get back to Leicester anyway, won't you? No, I love that. He's a legend. Legend. One quick one. Leicester, new coach coming in. I know you're in the fallow week. A load of changes could be quite disruptive and stuff like that. Wiggy's done really well to hold the fort. How excited are you to see the new coach coming in? Oh, can't wait. I think it's, you know, it's that sort of fresh start. We'll have a new coaching team, new head coach. And I think the boys are really excited about that. We're excited to to see what, you know, where that can take us. New season, fresh start. I think it's quite exciting. Has anyone been on the blower to Eddie to ask him what it's like or is that just... No, no, there's been no mention of that, mate. <laughs> there isn't, no. no. Well, hopefully, mate, you won't see them for a long time because you'll be involved with England all the way through the summer and then the World Cup and I'll see you back at Leicester sometime in November, probably, when your big times, yeah. big times come back, eh? I look forward to it, good. I look forward to seeing you again, mate. Humble, man. Cheers, Freddie. Best of luck this weekend, mate. Thank you. Cheers, Freddie. Take care. Cheers, mate. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddleboards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Top lad. Top lad. That kid is living the dream, right? Youngster, England's first choice fullback, dominating matches week to week, like playing exceptionally well, happy-go-lucky, does a decent bit of media about him. What a bloke as well. You say that, I disagree. Really? Mate, as loose as it gets, he's drinking coffee oh, I know. and playing a bit I of know. cards. That ain't that ain't <laughs> rock and roll. He's living the dream in terms of what how they can live the dream at the minute as an England rugby player. Very true. And how well he's playing and, and everything like that. He's got the world at his feet. They're big feet as well. And you know what someone that has big feet has? I do know because I have big feet. Jim, best Scotland team ever, according to you. 
Can they do it against Ireland at home? Look at you with the big headlines, just throwing them out there. This is all producer Rob, I'm sure of it. Just bang, just hit us with a one line. Can they do it against Ireland? Well, for my family's sake and my arm's sake, because if they don't, I'm getting a tattoo of Big Mac next week in Dublin. Thankfully, come on, Ireland. it's with a K, so it doesn't look like the burger Big Mac. It actually looks slightly different. Well, it's the same, but with a K. So I'm hoping that Scotland can do it for that reason. Genuinely, I think we can. I think if Ireland get a few players sent off, it could happen. It could happen. You know what? There's a part of me, right? I, and again, watching the Edinburgh Leinster game, and everyone's like, you need to watch it. It's a brilliant game or whatever. Before that, I was like, yeah, there's a chance. And then I look at Leinster, the way that they played against Edinburgh, and the team that they had, and Edinburgh went as full noise as they could, like Luke Crosby's playing, Bill Matter, Hamish Watson, Buffelli's back, uh, Stuart McAnelly's playing, like got some really good players, right? Wes Hooson on the wing. And Leinster have got a team of players which you kind of know, but it's a mix of old and youngsters coming through. And I watched the way that they played and I just revert back to the week before the Six Nations, the Auto Nation series, the week after the France game, unplayable. Like these Irish players, mainly the Leinster ones, are unplayable. I just don't know whether we could potentially get Ireland on an off day. It's a Sunday. We're confident at the minute. They've got injuries. Yeah, I was looking through the news this week in, in the Irish paper and online. Ringrose hasn't trained. James Lowe, McCluskey, Keen Healy. And they're talking about it being precautionary. Ty Byrne's gone. Ty Byrne's gone. Yeah, which is a real shame to, to see that as well. Henshaw, there's talk of him being back. If Ringrose doesn't play, do they put Bundiaki at 13, Henshaw at 12? So for me, I'm the cogs are moving in the head. I'm thinking, ah, oh, can we do it? The headline thing today is we've lost our vice captain in Grant Gilchrist. He's been banned for three weeks, even though Howis got four. I mean, for a deliberate headbutt. Was it deliberate though, or was it not deliberate? Gilchrist is a big loss for me. Genuinely, 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 without being emotion-led, I think we've got an opportunity to beat Ireland at the weekend, but we need to be at our very best and they need to be slightly off and the injuries that they've got not turn around in time. Because if you think about something like Ring Rose is massive. Yeah. Ring Rose is the one for me where if, if he plays at 13, how he is in attack, defence as a leader, like he's one of the best 13s, if not the best 13 at the minute in the world. That 13 channel against Scotland with Finn pulling the strings and sticking those passes into space that we've seen so many times, having the ball out the back and then fizzing it across. Hoggy finding some real form, hopefully. That 13 channel, and I know it was McCluskey and Bundiaki against Italy, they got exposed a bit in that channel. Hardest place to defend on the field, without a shadow of a doubt. And that is where Scotland looked to play, to the, that corner, to that edge, to the space there. So there'll be a huge amount of pressure on that. So Ring Rose's selection or fitness is paramount. We haven't seen Tyg Furlon yet. My holiday mate, Finlay Bealham, he's out for the rest of the Six Nations now as well. Tyg Byrne gone. You're starting to talk about some top-level players. Question marks Lever Sexton. I'm sure he'll be fit. Ring Rose, James Lowe. There's loads of issues, but you just kind of feel that Ireland will be able to plug any gaps because, as Jim said, the production line of players there is absolute quality. But Scotland have a huge opportunity. Where can Scotland win this game, Goody? Like, what's the big advantage? A lot of it, as I said then, just boils down to selection and who is fit for Ireland. And that 13 channel is key. Now, first and foremost, you've got to stop the Irish 
juggernaut coming at you with phase after phase of attack. You know, the speed of ball is key. You look at how Ireland attack and how comfortable every player is on the ball and how they understand how to play. You've got to slow their ball down. And that battle in the back row, Van der Fleer's been ridiculous. Doris has been unbelievable. It'd be down to the likes of Hamish Watson and the balance of that back row. Jamie Ritchie, does Hamish play? If they can get in there and slow the ball down and stop Ireland's all-court attack where they play phase ball so quickly, they're set up in lovely little structures where they can pinpoint players and pull them out of the line. The first thing is win those collisions and slow the ball down at the breakdown because... Playing against any team that has lightning quick ball is not impossible. And that's why Ireland looks so good, don't they, at times, Jim? If you get in amongst it and win the collisions, but also slow the breakdown down and it's two, three, four second ball as opposed to under two seconds, that to some people might not seem like anything, but to a defensive system being allowed to realign and get in position, it's huge. And that will be the defining factor, I think. Yeah, and then discipline as well, without stating the obvious. But Ireland, as we've seen with Leinster, keep going back to them because... They do it very well as well. Five metres out, eight metres out, Ireland are unstoppable. With the way that they play, the quick taps, like Leinster scored this ridiculous one at the weekend against Edinburgh. Like they just, the old dinky do where you tap, set up a maul, that's gone. For Leinster and Ireland, that's gone now. They're going left, they're going right out the back and it's they've got these ridiculous plays. Their pick and go set up that they've got as well. The physicality around that, their runners off nine. So Scotland, I'm going to state the obvious, their discipline has got to be razor sharp and give Ireland no entries into their 22. The wooden spoon decider, lads. Ashley Wales in Italy. Who wins it? Italy. Do you reckon? Yeah, I do. I do. And I think quite comfortably as well. Really? Mate, how well are Italy playing at the minute? Yeah. Look are. how well they played against France game one, who were second in the world. They just played Ireland and they looked, I'm bothered. They weren't. They didn't look flustered at all. Their back row, Lamaro, Seb Negri, uh, Lorenzo Canoni, physical with every single carry, making metres. Garbisi's now back. The big thing for them, though, is their star player, Ange Kupawatsu, is out injured. There was talk of him with his shoulder being in the squad, bit of smoke and mirrors, but they've got Pierre Bruno on the wing. But Kupawatsu is a massive, massive loss, again, stating the obvious. But I've just gone through a few of the players there who have been playing really well. Their bat row looks brilliant. And you think a year ago... A year ago, they beat them in Wales. And Wales are probably in a worse spot now than they were a year ago. And Italy are better. Yeah. Mate, you're right. You've just convinced me Italy are going to win. There you go. That's what we do. We could, we're probably <laughs> fucking talking bollocks and we're wrong, but we can convince each other. <laughs> it's a massive fight for Wales, isn't it? You know, imagine Gats's first Six Nations, they come back in and they get the wooden spoon and lose every game. And it's turmoil in Wales. We were there a couple of weeks ago. The whole place is in a complete mess. And you know what? Yeah, you've convinced me, Jim. I'm going to go Italy. It'd be great for the, the tournament as well. And it sounds harsh because I'm a quarter Welsh and there's a lot of Welsh people that listen to our podcast. But in terms of what Italy have done in those first two home games, they've deserved something, haven't they? So this is their time, James. But on that as well, you think of the journey of the two teams. Like if Italy don't win, it's been a poor tournament for them then, hasn't it? Yes, it goes back to what they've done before. They've played well. They've played well in the first half. They've played well in the first 50 minutes. They should be comfortable and confident enough to say, and we should back them as well, to say that you should beat Wales at the weekend. Not only did they beat Wales last year, they beat Australia in the Autumn Nation Series. They've got some brilliant players coming through that we've just done. They're well coached. 
you're at home. Here we go. We should say that. And that's probably going to put fire in the bellies of the Welsh players. They're going to have this all up in the change room and then we fucked it for Italy. <laughs> You've written Wales off again, haven't you, Jim? You've done it again, Jim. Well, let's look at the Fanzo pint predictor then. How much you got Italy beating Wales by? Close. <laughs> Seven. Jim Hamilton has convinced me that Italy are going to win. It was a rousing speech, Jim. Because Jim's convinced me Italy are going to win, I'm going to say Wales by three. <laughs> England v France at Twickenham. Oh, I was coming into this podcast today quite bullish about England's chances. Why have you changed? I've not convinced you any other way. You have? How? I, I've said France are struggling a bit. Well, no, we just started talking about some of the players coming back and... Not knowing whether Faz is going to start at 10. See, that's... Yeah. Deep down, you rate Faz because the fact that I've said... I do. Yeah, but the fact that I've said that Ford might play, that's why you're rattled because... No, Ford can't play. Or Smith. Smith should be in the, in the 23. You know, I'd pick Smith at 10, but ultimately I know a Steve Borthwick team, how he sets himself up, it doesn't suit a Marcus Smith at 10 character. So it'll go Faz and it's going to be exceptionally close. I'm going to go England by... Three. I've gone England by three as well. Can we be the same? Can we do the same? We can, Jim, yes. Okay, that's fine. I've got England by three. Got it written down in my paper there. It says France, but I'll just change to England because you convinced <laughs> me. But yeah, same point margin. The greatest ever Scotland side at home to Ireland. Who wins it? I am going Scotland by four. And I genuinely believe that. Yeah, I'm going to have to go against that. As much as I'd love for Scotland to win, because it will mean that England, if we beat France, we've still got a chance of winning the Six Nations going into round five... I'm going to go Ireland by six. How confident are you on that score? Ireland by six. Or Ireland to win. How confident are you? Oh, it's a real tough one to call, mate. It really is. I'm oh, going off don't the, say that. I'm going off the back of just Ireland's outstanding ability to churn result after result and how they play. But actually, when you look deep down, if they have got a load of issues with injuries and players missing, my God, this is Scotland's time. Have Scotland ever won three games in the Six Nations, Jim? Yes. Could be four, Jim. Could be four. But on that, Andrew, we're in Dublin next week. It could be Big Mac, but I was going to tell you to get a tattoo in terms of your belief, but you think it's going to be close. It's too close. I've got no tattoos on my body. The last thing I'm ever going to do is back Scotland to get a win over Ireland so I don't have to get a tattoo, am I? Let's be honest. I'm going to Ireland by six, but it'll be, yeah, hard one to call that. It's not too late to sign up for the Fanzo Pint Predictor. Every week and every game gives you a chance to win a free pint at Guinness. Just download the Fanzo app and enter in the league code RugbyPod. Well, hell of a comeback from Sale against Saracens. They were 16 down after half an hour. How'd they turn it around? What do you mean the ref? Yeah, the ref and the TMO absolutely had a shocker. My word. Alex Goods, Simbenin. What is that? Before we get on to the forward pass. I was okay with that. I thought there were some really poor calls, none more so than the forward pass for the try, which we'll come on to. But Alex Goods won. O'Flaherty's put the kick in and he's just moved and shifted his... He didn't need to do it because the outcome was that Saracens had it covered anyway. He's shifted his line deliberately to block him. So, And he does it very well. He's done it for years and the commentator said it really clever in how he does it because he throws his rear end, twists, and then puts his hands up as if he's doing nothing wrong. And we've seen it from him for years, but I'm okay with it because he does move direction to block O'Flaherty on a chip. So I'm okay with that. But some of the other calls, and I'm just going to say game-changing, momentum-swinging calls, TMOs, and there was two at the weekend, two calls that were absolutely horrific. We've got this big thing about speeding the game up. Everyone's talking about it. Speed the game up, speed the game up, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's all right speeding the game up, but when you've got the technology there that's clear and obvious for every person to see in the stadium, watching on TV, it was on ITV at the weekend as well as BT Sports, so there was a much bigger audience 
for Claire Hodnett, the TMO, to say there's nothing clear and obvious in that forward pass and we're okay, it's a fair try, you haven't even hardly had a proper look at it. It was a horrific decision and that swung a massive amount of momentum just before half-time. Obviously, James gets the try under the sticks and that gave Sale a massive uplift. And do you know what? Sale deserved to win in the end, the way the game panned out, but they were given a massive uplift by that forward pass try that should never... And even Sale would look at it and go, that's never a try. Absolutely never a try. And it's down to the TMOs and the referees probably feeling under pressure to speed the game up and not take their time because World Rugby have pushed that narrative, haven't they? We have to get decisions right. When you've got technology, if there's no technology, I understand it. You know, I can't really tell. So it doesn't matter. But when you have the technology and you have the people there, you have to make the right decision. And that was a game-swinging moment for me. Oh, no, Flaherty. How good was he, by the way? Very good. What a signing. On top of that, Carpenter at fullback. Ridiculous. He's about 14. Yeah, someone said online he looks like a young Mike Brown. He does, doesn't he? The way that he plays. Yeah. Yeah, really good performance. Uh, the big one out of that, though, was the red card, which, again, people think that I'm taking the piss. I'm not. I'd, I'd, I thought it was a harsh red, but I understand why, because he was high in the tackle, etc. I don't want to get into that, but was Dupree's, what a try at the end, just to rob, I say rob, you could say Saracens were rob with some of the calls, but they weren't. It was a great try, physical carry, blasting through to not only give Sal the bonus boy, but deny Saracens anything. Sale, very good. Love watching Sale. It's the first time that Alex Anderson has beaten Saracens, isn't it, since he took over there and left from Saracens. But like you sit there, and, and I don't want to berate referees too much, but you're right, Saracens didn't get the rub of the greed at all. And you go back to, there was one decision where Tom Foley, who's the ref, he stopped the clock to try and speed Sale's line-out up, who are doing a huddle. And then about three, four, five minutes later, he's penalised Saracens without stopping the clock to give them a warning and just did a free kick against them for taking their time at a line-out. So it's just the consistency. The Saracens, are they bothered? They'll be bothered a little bit, but they're still top of the league. They'll still you know, get the home semi-final, I'm pretty sure of that. But it does make it juicier and juicier if they are the two home semi-finalists and they get to the final. All the undercurrents of what's happened before. There's a bit of physicality around there, wasn't it? Saracens were hosing them in that first sort of 15, 20 minutes, physically monstering them as well. And then it just flipped just after half time, and that'll be a hell of a game to watch if it does get to the, be the final. Where'd that performance from Bristol come from? No idea. Jim wrote them off, didn't you, Jim? And rightly so as well. When was the last time you've seen them play like that? Two years? Yeah. Well, do you know what? It's probably when they were 28 0 up against Quinns in the semi final. And I've said it before, they still haven't recovered from that. They were 28 0 up against Quinns in that semi final. Then they ended up losing it after extra time. They still haven't recovered. And. You know, Charles Piertau was ridiculous. Harry Thacker was ridiculous. Semi Randrandra was out of this world. The way they played was a joy to watch to any rugby fan. Watching that would have been out your seat, jumping up, thinking that was unbelievable. But it's the inconsistency. And Jim, you've written them off saying there's no way they're making the top four. I heard they just listened to you on the podcast saying you've written them off and they were proving you wrong, Jim. Well, same as London Irish as well. Imagine if London Irish closed out some of them one, two point losses where they'd be now. But we're talking about Bristol anyway. Piertown, out of contract, isn't he? That's why. <laughs> I mean, unplayable. Yeah. My goodness me, what he can do. Do you remember how good he was three years ago? He was the marquee player, was he? The highest paid player in the league, the million pound player, the money ball man. You just saw why now, but here's the consistency. But when Bristol go, my gosh, they're class to watch. Yeah, Fitz Harding was un- unbelievable as well. So many names that you could pull out. But yeah, it was a proper... 
Bristol performance. And they're right in the mix again now, aren't they, Jim? They've got Quinns this weekend. Quinns will be without Marcus Smith. Two of the best teams to watch from the last weekend's games going at each other. And one of them, whoever loses at the weekend, will probably slip out of the top four race. So, um, hell of a ding-dong. And we mentioned Irish there. How good were they in that second half at Kingston Park? They're up to fifth now, aren't they? Mate, they're a good team. And I've said it. They've had a load of close results, as Jim mentioned. But they're a good team to watch. Arundel will come back. Hassel Collins got released by England and scored a try. Sinti on one wing's brilliant. And they are right in the mix. Tom Pearson, over Christmas, had a huge couple of performances. And the belief in that team now, and just seeing where the fixtures are lying, how they're getting on, they are completely in there with every chance of making the top four, as a lot of other teams are. And, you know, they're a really exciting team to watch. Creevy at Hooker's world-class still. You know, Simmons was great in the second row again. And, you know, a really exciting team that are going to be pushing for top four by the end of the season still. Quinn's finally had their big game played out. Went pretty well for them, didn't they? Hey, looked unbelievable. I've seen the highlights. And if you go based on that, and there were a few online, the Marcus Smith show with Joe Marchant, and Danny Kerr. They've got some quality players, Quinns, haven't they? And like Goody said, with the Bristol's analogy, they are very good to watch. If you're going to put on an event like that at Twickenham and a load of different DJs and you know that a team like Harlequins are going to turn up and without being harsh to Exeter, a showcase of where they are at the minute. I think you need to be harsh to Exeter. It's the worst I've ever seen them play across the board. I know they're missing Hoggy, but how many other players they're missing? That's where they are as a club now. Yeah, but I didn't want to be too harsh because we're down there in a few weeks, Goody. That's why. But you're, you're you know. right. You're right. But it was and they're hard. Yeah, they get a bit loose after some cider, some rattlesnake as well. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we're going to be tired because it's after Hong Kong. In terms of performance, it was so poor. Drop balls, ill discipline. But you've got to credit Quinns. They put on a show. Marcus Smith, ridiculous. Craig Nick David at fullback was brilliant as well. And like Jim said, you put on a show. It was just ready for Quinns to explode. And let's not forget, Quinns have been off the back of five defeats on the spin. Danny Kerr, again, got a presentation after the game. I saw his dad on there with the old Quinns stripey blazer on. All his family were there. Got presented with a Brightling for becoming Harlequin's most cap player ever. He was outstanding at 36, 37, how old he is. They just dominated Jack Kenningham back. And you know some people will look at Marcus Smith and all the big names. Kenningham, Lorde and Chisholm in the back row, absolutely monster Dexeter. So and they went hard at the breakdown, they went hard physically, but then they've got the Razmataz as well. It was it was brilliant by Harlequins and can't wait to watch their game down in Bristol this weekend. Leicester's found a better form as well, haven't they, lads? Physical. Absolutely bullied Bath. Montoya's back. You know, Andre Pollard, who Jim wrote off, was ridiculously good. I'm happy to eat my toes and my feet and my slippers. <laughs> my word. I'll eat whatever you want. Apart from cat food, what a signing. Fair play. Here you go. Look at you. I man. know with him, Jasper Visa, I thought he was 38. It turns out he's 28. <laughs> so I was wrong. I'm happy. Hands up. I was wrong. And I'm glad I was wrong. Yeah. But they, they were good, Leicester. Obviously, there's a, you know some old experience in there. And interestingly, you look at the top four battle now, Leicester are up to third. They've got three home games left. So everyone's sort of playing each other. But the fact that they're at home to... Bristol, Exeter and Harlequins who are all trying to be one of those teams to compete. That's a big advantage. And first try, again, Rowan Kitt, TMO, doesn't even check the foot in touch as Gallagher scored the try. It doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things with the result, but do your job, mate, Rowan Kitt. TMO, GMO Goody, you've got to check everything, pal. Foot in touch, clear as day, 
And he's like, yeah, that's fine. Play on. Yeah, got, got, going to get better again. But yeah, Leicester were great. Ben Young's coming back. Got absolutely skinned by Ben Spencer for one of Ben Spencer's tries. I'm glad that <laughs> happened because Young's, he rinsed me as well. <laughs> that was, that's probably why he did because he got rinsed in the game on Saturday. Drove down to Cheltenham and thought, Jim's having it. Deflecting. Massive shout out to George Martin and Cameron Henderson in the second row as well. I thought they were outstanding. But it was a powerful performance by Leicester. They monstered Bath. I think Bath fans will be desperately looking forward to seeing Finn in a blue, black and white jersey for about four games next year. And you know, a few injuries. Sam Underhill got injured again. Will Stewart. Alfie Barbary came on off the bench, lasted about 10 minutes. He's Yeah, what happened? Looks like a pretty serious injury as well. So, oh, yeah. Man. Thoughts with them all, really, because when your luck's down, it really is down. And it seems that way at Bath at the minute. It was a powerful performance from... Leinster, especially in that second half against Edinburgh, wasn't it, Jim? It was a brilliant game. Edinburgh came out the blocks and again, similar to a Harlequins and Bristol in terms of Edinburgh wanting to play that exciting style of rugby. The damn health stadium was packed out to see a second string Leinster team, but it just showed the difference between the two teams around accuracy and a bit of power. And the scoreline didn't really reflect the game. There was a kind of few runaways from Edinburgh's mistakes but yeah a few changes come in there as well Mike Blair said that he doesn't want to be the head coach anymore he wants to go to his attacking speciality so there's a few kind of changes happening with Edinburgh but who's going in who's going in I tell you who I'd like to see go in who I think's done a brilliant job with Scotland and that's Brad Moore who was the All Blacks coach who kind of got sacked he was Scarlet's for a bit wasn't he yeah so maybe Brad Moore I mean there'd be a few people Edinburgh's lovely lovely place to live really good team Play a good style of rugby. Anyway, back to the game. Yeah, Leinster. They, yeah, it was nearly 50. It was nearly an arm. But more so in the URC, we never talk about them, the Dragons. They nearly beat Connor at home. They didn't. They nearly did. They nearly <laughs> did. I think they had a couple of penalties, didn't they, that would have taken them ahead. Could have, should have, would have. But yeah, they nearly did. Nearly beat Connor. Right. Shall we finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly? Yeah, let's. We're going to start off with a bit of URC action. We're going to go to Benetton. Jim Hamilton. They got their first ever away win at the Ospreys at the weekend and their first league win outside Italy in three years. So a massive shout out to them. Well, the Ospreys are packing their bags to London anyway, aren't they? Because they're going to be called the Osprey Trailblazers. So their heads are elsewhere. Imagine, imagine moving from an eight-bed house in Wales to a one-bed garage. A garage in London. <laughs> yeah, in Ealing. You're being horrible, Jim. You really are. Anyway. Yeah, I am. Sorry. Sticking with the URC, Ulster, Connacht and Leinster all had good away victories against Cardiff, the Dragons and Edinburgh. So good stuff from them. Sticking the URC as well, the Lions. I don't think we've ever talked about the Lions in the Good because they have been shocking in the URC, but they had a victory at the Bulls, at Loftus first felt. So I thought I'd give them a shout out because I don't think they've ever been mentioned, probably at all. But yeah, big win for the Lions boys in that South African derby. What else was good? Marcus Smith and Harlequins. What a show they put on at the HQ. Marcus Smith specifically played exceptionally well. Eight carries, 62 metres, three defenders beaten and four try assists. So some outstanding stats. Over in France, Toulouse won 39-35 at Racing on Sunday night, even though they were missing a load of French internationals. Perpignan got another victory, this time against Bayonne to pull away from Brieve in the relegation position. But the good this week goes to Bristol's, the old Bristol's Bears and Charles Piertau. Some absolute filth on show. It was Bristol's biggest ever premiership victory. And Charles Piertau's stats were 13 carries, 99 metres made, five defenders beaten, four offloads and two try assists. An absolutely ridiculous performance for the million pound man. Bristol are back to being Bristol's. Yeah, there you go. 
Bad, few bits of bad. We're going to start off with Alfie Barbary. Unfortunately, he picked up another serious-looking injury after lasting only 10 minutes coming off the bench for Bath in his first comeback game. Exeter get a mention in the bad this week. The worst I've ever seen them play in the Premiership with their 40 points to 5 loss at Harlequins in the big game at Twickenham. Zebra are going to get a mention in the bad this week as well, Jim. They took 50 uh, against Glasgow. Who takes 50 against Glasgow? Leicester. Yeah. Leicester back in the day. They're quite good. Anyway, the main reason for Zebra being in the bad is they've now lost 49 out of their last 50 games in the URC. Relegate. Let's see if they get to 50. Uh. If they do, then we can start calling them out big time. That is a proper 50. Uh. Yeah, certainly is. 49 out of their last 50 games lost with Zebra. Breathe, my old club, get a mention in the bad as well. They lost at home to Bordeaux to drift further afield at the bottom of the top 14 and now probably look like the team that's going to get relegated at the end of the season. But the bad this week goes to Northampton Saints. It's their biggest ever premiership defeat down at Bristol. They had a few players missing but they were absolutely ran over at times and losing the game 62 points to eight, nearly as big as Jim Hamilton's biggest defeat ever for Saracens at the hands of Wasps. Northampton, you've had a shocker there, so that's why you get the bad this week. And then the ugly, few bits of ugly. We haven't spoken about this. Ardy Surveyor giving it the big undertaker on the field. Loved it, loved it. Yeah, he's been cited, James. Well, of course he has. Rugby values. <laughs> They're world rugby <laughs> laws, Jim, which you have to abide by now you work for world rugby. Everyone can have an opinion, Andrew, on what things potentially look like and what bringing the game into disrepute and values are. I think we need to move on with entertainment, with evolution of gesturing. They could, things could be a lot worse. I mean, they do that in the hacker. They're not, he's done, they've done it to me. I've had a whole team of them doing it to me and I didn't cause uproar. Then we went and got absolutely hammered on top. So, I don't know, if he said something, if he was like, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to slit your throat. You know what I mean? For me, doing that gesture could mean anything. Like, as in, next time, you can't even say, to, I'm taking your head off, can you? I'm taking your nipples off. Like, I don't know what. But I don't know what he said. He didn't say anything, did he? It was just like, I'm I'm basically cutting you in half. That's how I saw it. And he probably I'm slitting your throat. would do as well. I'm slitting your throat. That's what I saw, which isn't good, James. Yeah, but they do. So that's what they do during the hacker then. So should we get rid of that? It means a different thing in the hacker though. Oh, here we and go. What's it mean? It means eat some cat food. From my understanding with the hacker, it means that they're drawing breath through the top of their lungs. That's a lie. That's my understanding. That is a lie, Andy Rowe. Maybe it is. I don't know. I'm with Andy Rowe. I'm sticking up for Ardy Severia. Maybe he's saying, look, you need to draw breath, mate. That's why he's done it. That's going to be his argument. That is his argument. Anyway, it's, uh, we'll give that a mention because he's been cited for it. Matthew Screech of the Dragons, Ollie Callan of Western Force and Robin Hislop of Saracens all got sent off for upright high hits to the head. The ugly this week goes to Hurricanes prop to Vita Mafilio. He's the first case of a yellow card being upgraded to a red card after he made contact with the opponent's head. But uh, it's only a 20-minute red card because Super Rugby do it differently, don't they? And that's how they should do it, IMO. Like, Hawass should have been red carded because it was a headbutt, but Gilchrist should be an orange card in what would or potentially could be the new framework. But then we're not changing behaviours quickly enough. And then by... Oh, Andrew. Oh, oh Andrew. There you go. Oh, well, oh, Andrew. Who's learning? Who's learning? And if it's only 20 minutes, who cares? Because someone else just comes on and then there's certainly no learning. Our player's still going upright into the tackle. It's been four or five years now. Andrew, you say that though, but us men are built differently, aren't they? Like you go out till four in the morning, you're absolutely hanging for a week. But what happens? Hambo's done it. You go out till four in the morning. Like as in, you just don't learn. We don't learn. As in, that is not what we're made to do. We are made in the moment to just go as hard as you can. And then when you flatline, you flatline. And that's it. The hard way. 
Go hard or go home. Bring out the orange cards. There we go. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yes, we have, as always. I will go first, Andrew. A big shout-out to Tim Piper, who this weekend got his 500th cap for Burnham on Sea Rugby Club in Somerset. Wow. Yeah, proper club man from helping with coaching the backs, the junior section, and also vice chairman to help the club ticking over. So he does a lot. Do you reckon Tim Piper got piped at the weekend for his 500th game or what? That's unbelievable. If he was Scottish, he definitely would have got piped in. Well, or if he's been to Scotland, he might have. He probably did. Piped in, piped off, whichever one. He's, he should have had a pipe in. Yeah, a massive shout out as well to Leak RUFC, who this weekend were crowned champions of Regional 2 North Midlands, which makes it back-to-back league titles for the lads and promotion to Level 5 of the English League structure for the first time in the club's history. So well done, everyone at Leak. Get the leaks in. Get the leaks in. Of course we will. It's another shout out to a friend of the show, Stephen Leach, Leachy51. He's played about 500, 600, 700 games for Staines Rugby Massive. Goody, it looks like you, but with dark hair. He's a big follower of the pod. Big shout out to Sally as well. I've done a bit of work with her. Staines Rugby, legend, retires. What have you done with Sally? Royal Bank of Scotland, Andrew. Ambassador. There we go. Yeah, get your polo shirt on. Yeah, and just do your bit for the community. <laughs> That's me. That is me. Big shout out to you, Leachy. And finally, the, the last one's a bit of a sub one, actually. It's a huge shout out, but also condolences to all the friends and family of Anthony Stack Hancock, who sadly passed away last week after a 15-year battle with Parkinson's disease. Stack was a Penryn legend, and his legacy will be as a youth coach where he had a positive impact on so many lives. He was a Gloucester season ticket holder, used to drive from Cornwall most weekends to Gloucester and back in a day and didn't miss a game for 10 years. So um, it'll be sadly missed. But as he would say, when he was gone, he said, RIP doesn't mean rest in peace. It means raised in Penryn. So uh, they're all raising a glass to you, pal. Yeah, I love that. We'll raise one too. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Ruby Spot. Spotted pod, 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 pod. Ah.